You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. So we're in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 16. Okay, let's pray as we get into God's Word. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you it is living and active. Thank you that you desire to speak to us. And Lord, we desire to hear. We desire to hear your voice and put your words into practice. So Lord, we ask that your words, as they come into our ears, Lord, they would also enter our hearts and that they would do your work of changing us and transforming us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the most common questions that people ask, and also, by the way, one of the most important questions that people ask when it comes to things related to God, people often ask the question, how can I know God's plan for my life? And how can I know God's purpose for my life? And how can I know if I am walking in God's plan, if I'm doing what God wants me to do? How can I know that I'm in the middle of God's plan for my life? Well, today we're going to be answering those questions as we conclude our series that we've been doing for the first three weeks of the new year, which is on the topic of vision. Now, what do we mean by vision, right? People use that word in so many different ways. Well, here's what we mean by vision. I I think vision can just be uh, succinctly and easily defined in this way. It's a desired outcome. That's what vision is. It's a desired outcome. Now, we all have things in our lives that we desire to see happen, but here at the new year, the beginning of the new year, the big question we need to stop and ask is this. What is God's desire for my life? What is God's, you know, a desired outcome? What is God's vision for my life? What's his desired outcome for me as an individual and for us as a church? And and when we know God's outcome, how do we get there? How do we get there? God's desired outcome for us. So here at Whitefields, we have three statements that we like to use that describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and also who we aspire to be as a church. And those three statements go like this. We say that at Whitefields, we desire to be receptive to the word of God. The second one there, we also desire to be responsive in worship. And the third one, which we're going to be talking about in our in our study today, is this. We desire to be, we aspire to be redemptive in the world. So each week we've been taking one of those statements and making it the basis for our study of the word. And today we're going to be looking at the third and final one, which is what it means and why it's important for us to be redemptive in the world. And the title of today's message is A Vision for God's Mission. A Vision for God's Mission. Here's what we're going to see as we look at Acts chapter 16. We're going to see that engaging in God's mission involves building bridges for the gospel, and responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every week I give you kind of a takeaway truth. I want you to write that down, memorize it, take a photo, whatever you got to do to take that thought with you as you go today. But it's also going to be the outline for our study. So let's, let's remind ourselves again. Engaging in God's mission involves building bridges for the gospel and responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let's take that sentence and let's break it down as we study this text. First of all, engaging in God's mission. You know what? If you read through the Bible, you will quickly discover something. What you'll discover is this, that God is on a mission. And therefore, to be a follower of him, to be a follower of Jesus, means joining him in his mission. 
God is on a mission, and to be a follower of Jesus means joining him in his mission. You know what the Bible is, right? The Bible is the story of God's missional activity in the world. It's the story of God's mission in the world. Ever since sin and death entered into the world, God has been on a mission to bring redemption and salvation to the world. Jesus put it this way. He described the mission of God in this way. He said, the mission of God is this, to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what does that imply? First of all, it tells us that God is seeking. God is seeking. He is not a passive God. He is not standing by, sitting by, and waiting for us to somehow find him on our own. Uh, no, just the opposite. He is actively seeking, speaking, pursuing, initiating, sending. Why? In order to save. And who is he looking to save? The lost, we're told there by Jesus. What does that mean, to be lost? Well, think about the prodigal son. He leaves home, and he loses everything. Think about sheep who wander away from their shepherd to their own demise, to their own peril. That is us. We have done that. That is all of us. And the curse and the consequence of our sins are manifold. They are things like sickness and, and suffering, bitterness, strife, envy, and ultimately death and separation from God forever. But the good news of the gospel is that God, as the good shepherd, as the loving father, he hasn't just abandoned us to this fate. No, as the good shepherd, he doesn't just look at us and say, well, you got yourself lost. You created the situation. Now deal with it. Or, or maybe you can find your way back on your own. It's up to you because you got yourself into this mess. No, instead, he comes to us. He came to us in the person of Jesus in order to save us. And you know what? Here's the other thing. It's not just our souls that are lost and need to be saved. There's so much more. You know, this creation, all of creation, all of culture, so many things were affected by the entrance of sin and death into the world. And so the end game, the ultimate goal of God's redemptive work in the world is that one day God is going to restore everything that was lost to sin. He is going to make all things new, the Bible tells us. And in his kingdom, which he will establish, there will be no more sickness, no more strife, no more death forever. God is on a mission. And to be a follower of Jesus means joining him in his mission. So what does that look like for our lives practically, to be engaged in the mission of God? Well, that, that brings us back to our sentence in the beginning, remember? Engaging in God's mission involves Building bridges for the gospel. That's the first thing. Building bridges for the gospel. So if you'll turn your attention with me to Acts chapter 16. Here in Acts chapter 16, we read the story of Paul the Apostle's second missionary journey. His second missionary journey. Now this chapter begins by telling us that Paul came, in verse 1, to Derbe and Lystra. Now these were two cities in modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul had actually visited these cities before. This was not his first time to Derby and Lystra. If you go back to Acts chapter 14, what you'll find is that Paul came to these cities on his first missionary journey about five to seven years prior to this. 
So about five to seven years prior to this, Paul had come to these cities, and what he had done there is he had shared the good news of the gospel with people in the town, and he had started churches in these cities. And so now here he is, five, seven years later, on his second missionary journey, and he begins his second missionary journey by going back to these churches he started on his first missionary journey to check in on them, to see how they're doing, how things are going. And we read there in verse 1 that in Lystra, there was a disciple there named Timothy, who was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, this is the same Timothy who we read about later on in the New Testament in the books of First and Second Timothy. This is the Timothy about whom Paul says six times that he is my true son in the faith. This Timothy, he would go on later on to become a pastor, and Paul would write First and Second Timothy to him as a, as a mentor, writing to a mentee about how to lead the church of God. But listen, at this point, Timothy and Paul are just meeting for the first time. Paul goes to visit this church, and they're still turning out disciples and teaching the Bible. It's glorious. And there's this young man there named Timothy, and it says in verse 2, he was spoken of well by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, hang on just a second, right? That was a little weird. Paul's like, hey, Timothy, I want you to join my missionary team. And Timothy's like, awesome. Yeah, this sounds great. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. What do, you, what do you need me to do to sign up? Do you need me to you know, sign a waiver form? You know, do you need me to buy my own uniform? Do you need me to buy my plane tickets? And Paul's like, no, no, no. We'll cover all those things. But there is, there is one thing that you could do for me. Why don't you come over here and I'll show you. Uh, and it was a surprise. So uh, circumcision was an ancient Jewish practice going all the way back to Abraham. It was an outward sign of the covenant that God made with the Jewish people. And every practicing Jewish male would be circumcised as a sign that they belonged to this nation. Now, the fact that Timothy, even though his mother was a Jew and he was not circumcised, what that tells us is that he was not raised in the Jewish faith. And yet, we know that at some point, Timothy and his mother, they had heard about Jesus from this church that was there in their hometown of Lystra, and they had responded and believed in Jesus, and they became Christians. Now, one of the big debates amongst early Christians that we read about in the Bible in several writings, there's a big debate going on, and the debate was, does a person need to convert to Judaism before they can be a Christian? In order to be a Christian, do you have to convert to Judaism? And here's why. That, that might sound like a weird debate for you and me, because we don't really debate that anymore. But here's why it was a big debate for them, because Christianity didn't just drop out of the sky 2,000 years ago. It's not like Jesus just showed up and said, hey, guys, I've got a new religion. No. Christianity was the fulfillment. It was the continuation of everything that God had been doing throughout history and through the Jewish people that we read about in the Old Testament, through the prophets. This was not something brand new out of nowhere. This was the fulfillment of something that had been going on for a very long time. That's why all of the early Christians were Jews. That's why Jesus himself was a Jew. And so for these early Christians, right, to, to become a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, wasn't to change your religion, right? It wasn't that you, you said, well, I used to be a Jew. Now I'm not a Jew anymore. Now I'm a Christian. No, 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 not at all. For them, this was the continuation, the fulfillment of everything they had hoped in and everything they had waited for as Jews. But then what happened is, 
according to Jesus' command, right, that they take the gospel into all the world. Well, the gospel, as it spread, the good news about Jesus, as it spread out of Jerusalem, out of Jewish populated areas, it reached people who were not Jewish. And they heard about Jesus, and they heard the good news, and they, they wanted to follow him too. They wanted to trust in him. And so the question became, well, what do these people need to do in order to be Christians? Do they need to convert to Judaism in order to be saved, in order to be Christians? And what does that mean? Do they need to follow the Jewish dietary laws and rules, the kosher diet? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow the Jewish holidays? These were all questions that the early Christians wrestled with and debated amongst themselves. And they were hotly contested issues. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 15, the chapter prior to this one, you can see there that what happens in Acts chapter 15, we read about a council, a meeting that took place in Jerusalem where all the apostles and the early church leaders gathered together to settle this issue and to answer this question. Here's why. Because look at verse 1 of chapter 15. It tells us that there were people who preached that unless you were circumcised, you cannot be saved. So there's these people out there saying this, and the church leaders needed to sort this out. They needed to be on the same page. And so they got together in Jerusalem. They sought the scriptures. They prayed. They asked God to show them the way and reveal them the answer. And they all came to the conclusion and the agreement, no, you do not need to convert to Judaism in order to be a Christian. You don't need to be circumcised or do any of the other Jewish rules in order to be saved. The only thing you need to do is repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save you. Now, here's what's interesting. Amongst that debate, right? Do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to convert to Judaism? Perhaps the most ardent person who argued most fervently for the fact that you do not need to be circumcised, you do not need to convert to Judaism in order to be saved, was the Apostle Paul. And yet, here we see the Apostle Paul himself telling Timothy, Timothy, you cannot join our missionary team unless you get circumcised first. Why? There's even more interesting. Paul says that he's worried about what other people will think if they find out that Timothy's not circumcised. And you got to look at this and you wonder, is Paul being hypocritical here? Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? On the one hand, he's telling people, you don't need to get circumcised to be a Christian. On the other hand, he's telling Timothy, you can't come with me on my missionary journey unless you get circumcised. What is going on here? Right? Shouldn't he have said to Timothy, instead, shouldn't he have put his foot down and said, hey, look, I don't care if those people think that you should be circumcised. They're wrong, and I know that we're right. And so I don't care what they think. That's their problem if they don't like it. They can deal with it. I mean, why should Timothy have to inconvenience himself and go through the pain of being circumcised just to please other people? So let me ask you, is Paul, was Paul being hypocritical? Was he compromising his beliefs here by telling Timothy that he had to be circumcised in order to please these other people who were, by the way, wrong? And the answer is no. Surprisingly, the answer is no. The reason Paul told Timothy to get circumcised was not because he thought Timothy needed it. Nor was it purely just to please other people. There was a, a greater meaning and message and reason he did it, which is absolutely in line with Paul's thinking and his approach to everything. 
You see, the reason Paul told Timothy to get circumcised was not because he needed to be circumcised to be justified before God. It wasn't because he was afraid of people's opinions. No, he did it for a missional purpose. A missional purpose. You see, even though Paul and Timothy knew that Timothy didn't need to be circumcised in order to be saved, the people they wanted to reach, they didn't understand that yet. They didn't understand that yet, even though Paul and Timothy already knew it. And so in order to reach these people where they were at, in order to remove a potential obstacle which might hinder these people from being willing to listen to what they had to say about Jesus, Paul says to Timothy, look, Timothy, I know this isn't going to be your favorite, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to circumcise you, so this is, we're just taking the issue off the table, so it's not even an issue, because we don't want to go there and talk about circumcision. We want to go there and talk about Jesus, and in good time, we can explain to them and help them see the way that this is not something that's necessary, but because they don't get it yet, let's meet them where they're at so that they, so this won't be a hindrance to them hearing us out about Jesus. Now listen, this is interesting because, again, those people who believed that circumcision was necessary for salvation, they were wrong. They were wrong. And yet Paul encouraged Timothy. He said, Timothy, I want you to inconvenience yourself. I want you to suffer some pain, even though these people are wrong, in order to build a bridge to them so that we can teach them, so that we can encourage them, so we can reach them, so we can share the gospel with them. Listen, Paul explains his missional mindset with which he lived his life in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at what he says. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though myself, I am not under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I want to just ask you, let's make this personal. Let's make this real for you in your life. I want to ask you this. What are some ways in which you can build bridges with your neighbors and your coworkers, your family members, so that you can create opportunities to share the gospel with them? What are some things that you can do to build bridges to share the gospel? I mean this. It might mean intentionally reaching out to them to build a relationship. It might mean in some cases, and perhaps in most cases, it's going to involve dying to yourself and doing things that might feel uncomfortable to you or things that you wouldn't naturally do if it was just up to you. Listen, that's what we see here with Timothy. He, he didn't get circumcised because he thought it would be a fun thing to do on a Tuesday. Right? He did this for the sake of these people. You know why? Because he was thinking like a missionary. Paul and Timothy were thinking like missionaries. And you know what you do when you're a missionary? You don't primarily think about your own preferences or your rights, you know, what you can do and what you're allowed to do and what you don't have to do. You also don't think primarily about your comfort. If they were, they would have never gone this route of doing this circumcision, right? On the other hand, though, instead, 
Their actions were driven out of concern for other people and love for other people. They were asking questions like, how do we reach these people where they're at? How do we remove any barriers that are unnecessary and might just prevent them from receiving what we have to say about Jesus? They're thinking like missionaries. And I have a challenge for you. Do you know that every week in this series, I've given you a challenge? Well, here's my challenge for you today. You ready? Here's the challenge. This week, as you go to your neighborhoods, as you go to your workplaces, as you go to your schools, I want to challenge you to think like a missionary. Think like a missionary. Ask yourself this question. If I were a missionary sent here on a mission to reach these people in my community with the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, what would I do? What would I do if I was a missionary coming to this community? What kinds of intentional things would I do to reach out, to build bridges to these people in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my school? You know why? Because here's the thing. That's exactly what you are. That is exactly what you are. You are a person who has been called by God and sent out on a mission. You know what Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of John? He said this to his disciples after he had resurrected from the grave. He said to them, Just as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. Just as the Father sent me to carry out this mission of seeking and saving the lost, now I am sending you. I'm handing you the baton. Now it's your turn to run with it. Listen, you have been called and sent out on this same mission by God. And throughout Paul's letters, he explains the missional mindset by which he lived his lives, by which we are called to live our lives as followers of Jesus. For example, here's one of the things that Paul says about his missional mindset. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, look, all things are permissible to me. All things are lawful, but not everything is helpful. Just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should do that thing. Doesn't mean that it would be helpful for me to do that thing. Think about it. If you have a mission, if you have a goal, there are a lot of things that you can do, right? They're not against the law. They may not be sin. You're not going to get in trouble for doing them. And yet, those things will not help you to accomplish your goal, to reach your goal. It's like if you're training for the Olympics or you're preparing to run a marathon. Listen, you can eat donuts and, and Big Macs every day. Nobody's going to stop you. They're not going to put you in jail for it. You can do it. It's permissible, but it's not helpful. It's not going to help you reach your goal of running that marathon or of, of winning that medal. In the same way, if your goal is to be an, an ambassador for Christ and to take the love of God and the good news of the gospel to other people, then there are things which, even if you can do them, maybe you shouldn't. There are things which, even if you can say them or write them, maybe you shouldn't. There are, there are other things, on the other hand, where even though you don't have to do them, maybe you should. You see, for the sake of your mission— for the sake of the people you're trying to reach. That's what it means to think with a missionary mentality. Listen, Timothy didn't have to be circumcised, and it certainly wasn't something that he enjoyed. But listen, he didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for himself. He did it in order to build a bridge and remove an obstacle for some people for whom this was a very big deal. Why? Because he wanted to reach them with the love of God and the good news of the gospel. And he said, you know what? If it takes a little pain on my part, that's worth the price. Because these people are worth that. He, he was thinking about those people and about God's mission more than his own comfort or his own rights or his own privileges. And I want you to think about this. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? 
Isn't that the model that he gave us? He set aside his rights. He set aside his privileges. He set aside his own comfort, and he reached out to us so that we could be saved. He saw the plight that we were in, and he gave himself up for us. And to engage in his mission means to adopt that same mindset for the sake of other people. So I want to challenge you this week, but not just this week, guys. Let's make this a practice moving forward. I want to challenge you to think like a missionary. Ask yourself that question. If I were a missionary, what would I do to build bridges? What would I do to build bridges to the people around me? What kind of things would I do? Or what kind of things would I not do in order to not create unnecessary barriers, uh, unnecessary hindrances for people to hear this good news that I have to share with them about Jesus and about the love of God for them. I want to challenge you to think like a missionary. Why? Because that's exactly what you are. If you're a Christian, God has called you to join him on his mission. But listen, engaging in God's mission, this brings us back to our sentence, it involves building bridges for the gospel but it also involves responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look at what we read in verse 6. It says they went, this missionary team, right? They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So here's this missionary team. Now it's not just Paul and Silas. Now it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. They were two, now they're three. And this missionary team, they, they want to go and take the gospel. They visited some churches. Now they want to take the gospel to new frontiers, to places it's never gone before, to places where people have never heard about Jesus. And the first place they planned to go was called Asia. Now, don't confuse that with the continent of Asia. We're not talking about Asia, the continent, like China, Mongolia, etc. We're talking about the Roman province of Asia, which, oddly enough, is actually to the west, right up against Europe at the western end of Turkey. Now, when it says that they wanted to go to, to Asia, again, the western part of Turkey, the Roman province of Asia. Now that is where the city of Ephesus was located. Ephesus at this time was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And so their plan is, let's go to this place where this is big city and we'll plant churches, we'll tell people about the gospel. It's going to be awesome. But then, even though that was their plan, notice what it says. It says that they were forbidden from going there. And here's the surprising part. Who forbade them from going there? The Holy Spirit. You'd be like, oh, well, the, the emperor forbade us from going. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit forbade them from going to the region of Asia and preaching the gospel there. Well, that's kind of surprising, isn't it? Here are these guys who are like, we want to go to Asia and preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus and start churches. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, you can't do that, right? Now, now you might expect the Holy Spirit to forbid you to do a lot of things, right? The Holy Spirit might forbid you to cheat on your taxes. The Holy Spirit might forbid you to rob a 7-Eleven. might say, no, don't do that, right? But listen, to preach the gospel in Asia and start churches? That seems like the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit would want you to do, right? He'd be prodding you. Come on, get out there, preach the gospel in Asia, go do it. And yet, instead of that, the Holy Spirit is here telling these guys who are ready to, and they want to go, tell them, no, you can't do that. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit communicated this or forbade them from going. Perhaps it was just like an, an inner sense, a strong inner sense that God was saying, don't go that way. You can't go there and do that. Maybe, though, it was through outward circumstances. Maybe it was through a closed road. They literally couldn't get there. Maybe it's through a, a difficult political situation or a lack of money. 
Maybe it was through an illness which prevented them from traveling to this region. We don't know. But we do know that they had a plan to do this thing, and their plan did not work out, and it was the Holy Spirit who stopped their plan from working out. Now, if that wasn't weird enough, look at what it says in verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What is happening here, right? Again, first the Holy Spirit says they can't go to Asia. Now they try to go to this other region called Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit says no to that too. What is, the, what is the Holy Spirit thinking? I mean, doesn't he know that these guys are preaching the gospel, doing good things? Well, look what happens in verse 8. They can't go there. There's only one place left to go. Passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. Now just put yourself in their shoes for, for a few seconds here and try to understand. Just imagine how confusing and how frustrating this time must have been for Paul and his team. Here they are in Troas. They don't want to be in Troas. They never planned on going to Troas. This isn't a place where they want to be. They're only here because nothing else they've tried to do has worked out. They, they might have been wondering, you know, did, did we mess up? Like God had a plan, but we, we missed it. Like we zigged when we were supposed to zag, right? Like we were supposed to take a left in Lystra, but we took a right and now it's too late and we messed up God's plan and, and now we can't get it back. Or, or maybe we were never supposed to take this journey to begin with, and this was all just our idea, and God's not in it, and it's just a huge mess. Nothing's working out, and that's the proof that this was just our idea, not God's, and, and we just messed up this whole thing. Maybe some of you guys feel that way about your own life, right? Maybe you wonder sometimes. It keeps you up at night. You wonder if you missed God's call on your life, like God had a calling on your life, but you missed it. And now you can't get it back. That ship has passed, right? Or, or maybe you made a mistake in the past, and you wonder, did that mistake just take me off course from God's plan for my life, and now it's all messed up, and, and the plan's ruined, and now I just got to wait till I die, right? Because I'm on this, you know, in no man's land. I missed God's plan for my life, and now I'm just waiting to die. Or, or maybe, you know, and I don't raise your hand, but maybe some of you wonder, did I marry the wrong person? Did I go to the wrong school? Did I take the wrong job? Should I have accepted that other job offer back then? But now there's no way to go back and fix those things. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're not looking back at the past and regretting a decision. Maybe you're in a situation where you need to make a decision, but you're afraid because you're like, well, what if I pursue this relationship and, it, and, and it's not what God wanted, and I miss God's plan? Or what if I take this particular job offer? Should I pursue, you know, this go to this school or whatever that big decision is that's going to change the course of your life. Here, here's what I would tell you uh, that this passage illustrates for us really well. And this is good news. God's will for your life is a game plan, not a blueprint. God's will for your life is a game plan, not a blueprint. Think about the difference between a blueprint and a game plan. A blueprint is highly detailed. Everything is laid out down to, you know, exact size. On, on a blueprint, there's no room for error, right? If you get off course with the blueprint, you're going to mess the entire thing up. You, you're going to mess it. The whole thing will be ruined if you, if you make a mistake following the blueprint. But a game plan, on the other hand, is different. 
A game plan is much different. A game plan is based on principles rather than details. A game plan is flexible enough to adjust to whatever the opponent might throw at you, right? You don't know what the opponent's going to throw at you. But a game plan is flexible enough to deal with whatever the opponent throws at you. Your opponent could surprise you with something you didn't expect. Well, I don't know, like, for example, a pandemic, right? But listen, your game plan doesn't change. Your game plan doesn't change uh, depending on what's thrown at you. The principles stay the same. And you know what else about a game plan? In a game plan, there's room for errors. If you mess up, if you make a mistake, there might be a penalty. You might get a flag on the play. You might get set back, right? There might be a consequence. But the game isn't over. You still get to come back into the game and play the fourth quarter. You still get to come back in the game on third down, right? So there's room for error. But you know what else about a game plan? It's dynamic. It's based on communication. So you call a timeout. You go talk to the coach on the sideline about what's going on and what you should do in this situation. That's why the Bible describes a relationship with God as being like a walk, right? You're taking his hand and you're walking with him one step at a time. When he turns left, you turn left. He's leading you one step at a time where he wants you to get to. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. Or as other translations put it, he will direct your paths. As you're walking with him, as you're following these principles, the game plan, he will lead you in the way he wants you to go. And look what happens. Paul's there in Troas, in this place that he never planned to go, never wanted to be in. And uh, he's only there because his plans haven't worked out. And look what it says in verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you guys notice something there in verse 10? Did you notice that? The pronouns changed. In one verse, all of a sudden, the pronouns change. Up until now, everything the writer of this book has said is, he did this, they did that. But suddenly, in verse 10, that changes, and now it's no longer he and they. It's now we and us. We concluded that God was calling us to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Notice what's happening here. The author of this book has now joined the story. He's now writing in the first person. He was there. He experienced it. The person who wrote this book was a man named Luke. Same person person who wrote the gospel of Luke. And apparently, there in Troas, Luke joined Paul and Timothy and Silas on this missionary team, and Luke went with them to Macedonia. Listen, Paul had never planned on being here. According to Paul's plan, he should have never been here. He just kind of ended up here because nothing else was working out. But here he is in Troas, and he meets Luke. And Luke joins their team. And Luke goes on to write two books of the Bible, including this one. In other words, God had a plan and the way the Holy Spirit led them was by hindering their plans and by closing the doors. Closed opportunities. Listen, maybe some of you in your life, you've experienced some closed doors, right? Maybe there are some things that you wanted and they didn't work out. Things that you pursued and the opportunities ended. What we see here in this passage is that one of the main ways that God leads us is actually through closed doors. When we're going in one direction, he says, nope, doors closed in your face. I want you to go in a different direction. And I'm going to make you go in a different direction, right? You can see this throughout the history of global missions. I find it fascinating. For example, perhaps the most famous missionary 
uh, of all is a man named David Livingston. David Livingston was a British missionary to Africa, and he's famous because he went up into the interior of Africa, and he mapped it out. He explored the interior of Africa, and he introduced the gospel into the interior of Africa. But do you know what's interesting about David Livingston? He actually only ended up in Africa because he applied to a missionary organization to go to China, and they rejected him. So he went to Africa, and the rest was history. God used him to change history and change Africa. Another one, William Carey. He pioneered the modern missionary movement in India. But did you know that William Carey only ended up in India because he tried to go to Polynesia, and it didn't work out? How about this one? Adoniram Judson. He brought the gospel to Burma or Myanmar. Churches that he started still exist to this day. But the only reason he ended up there was because he had tried to go to India, and it didn't work out. God had closed doors, and he used closed doors and ended opportunities in order to direct people to the places he wanted them to go. You know, Pastor Mike and I, we both spent years in Hungary as missionaries. But you know, for both of us, we originally wanted to go other places. He tried to go to Poland. I tried to go to Ukraine. God closed those doors and led us both to Hungary. And we're so thankful that he did. I've known a lot of people who wanted to do good things. They wanted to get married, have kids, serve the Lord in some way. And you look at those things and you say, those are good things. But the doors were closed for whatever reason. And the question becomes this. Are you willing to accept God's plan for your life, even if it's different than what you originally envisioned? Are you willing to accept God's plan for your life, even if it's different than what you originally envisioned? Because look at what happens next. In verses 11 and 12, we read that Paul and this missionary team, they respond to this vision that God gave them of a man from Macedonia. So they travel to Philippi, the main city of Macedonia. And you can imagine, as Paul's walking around Philippi, he's looking. He's looking for that guy he saw in his vision. And he's looking in the marketplace, on the street, looking at a face of every person who passes by. Is this the guy? Is this the guy that God gave me in this vision? But do you know that Paul never finds this man from the vision? You know what he finds instead? He finds a woman. He finds a group of women, actually, who were down by the river praying on a Saturday, we read there. And Paul and his team went up to them, and they talked to them about Jesus. And there was one woman in particular, a woman named Lydia. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to hear what Paul had to say, and she believed. This woman, Lydia, became the first convert to Christianity on the European continent. God had led Paul to Macedonia through the vision of a man. But when he got there, instead, he met a woman. On this trip, literally like nothing worked out the way that Paul planned or envisioned. And yet, it was very good. Luke joined their team. A church was planted. A woman was saved. The gospel came to Europe. Listen, God used closed doors and frustrating circumstances to lead Paul exactly where he wanted him to be. But listen, I want you to know this. For his own part in this, Paul, what did he do? He responded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit said go, he went. When the Holy Spirit said no, he stopped. And the end result was something that was very different than what Paul had ever envisioned, but it was very good. And this is what it looks like to be surrendered to the Lord and live in a dynamic relationship with him, where he's leading you by his Holy Spirit. And friends, I want to tell you this from experience and true conviction. There is nothing more exciting and nothing more fulfilling 
than being actively engaged in God's mission. It is the most exciting way to live your life. It is the most fulfilling way to live your life, to be engaged leading, in the leading of the Holy Spirit, responding to the Lord, and actively involved in his mission in the world. There's nothing that compares. Listen, we read that the Lord moved on Lydia's heart to believe, but that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning of Lydia's story. Listen, we know that Lydia's house, she gave her house to be the meeting place for the church. The church in those days wasn't allowed to build buildings. Christianity was not a legal religion in the Roman Empire. They couldn't build churches. So they had to meet in homes. And Lydia said, I have a big house. You guys can come and meet in my house. That's her way of engaging in God's mission. But look, when she believed, that was just the beginning of her journey with the Lord. When she believed, not only was she saved, not only was she forgiven and redeemed, not only did she receive the promise of eternal life and the hope of heaven, but God gave her a role to play in his mission here on earth. And friends, that same thing is true for you. So I want to challenge you again today to be engaged in God's mission by building bridges and by following the leading of the Holy Spirit as you go about this next week and beyond. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.